Welcome to Crop Watch Podcast, a production of Nebraska Extension. Welcome to the Crop Watch Podcast. I am your host, Melissa Bartles, a water and innovative cropping systems educator with Nebraska Extension. And today I will be joined by Kyle Broderick and Kyle Cook, and they will be updating us on what they have been seeing so far in the plant and pest diagnostic clinic at the university. Thank you guys for joining me today, Kyle and Kyle. How are you both doing? Doing great. Thanks for having us. Yeah, doing great. Thanks. Awesome. All right. So for our listeners, can you tell us a little bit more about each of your roles in extension? Yeah, this is Kyle Broderick, and I am the coordinator of the Plant and Pest Diagnostic Clinic. And so we basically will try to identify any plant problem that's occurring, regardless of what type of plant it is. Most of our samples tend to be agronomic, but we also deal with a lot of um, horticultural and landscape samples as well. Especially this time of year, people have just started their gardens. And so we're starting to get a lot of garden questions as well. Roughly about 85% of all samples that come through the diagnostic clinic are agronomic in nature, with the majority of those being being corn and soybeans. But we also see plenty of wheat, dry beans, peas, alfalfa, sugar beets. Basically, if it's grown in Nebraska, we will try to figure out what the problem is. Yeah, Kyle Cook here, and I am extension educator, assistant extension educator, and insect diagnostician. So I work, you know, hand in hand with Kyle Broderick. He does the, you know, the plant path diagnostics, and I I do the insect diagnostics within the plant pest diagnostic clinic. Very similar um, in terms of of what we're doing, just kind of working with different organisms there. I would say my samples tend to skew maybe a little bit more towards, you know, horticultural, ornamental, landscape sort of stuff. Um, a lot of structural pests that people will see inside the home, but, uh, but do see some, some agronomic samples as well. Yeah. I know when I go out and scout, it's a little bit easier to see if you have a disease in the field, but a little harder unless you have a really high population of insects. The nice thing is, is those leaf spots, they tend not to crawl away when you, <laughs> when you go looking for them. Yes. And well, and then some of our insects, you'll be lucky if you can even spot them. Like our soybean gull midge, you can see the damage, but once they get to adults, they get a little harder to find. Okay. So what have you guys been seeing so far this year coming into the clinic? Well, on the disease side of things, we're kind of getting out of the, the early season root rot issues. So for the most, we had a fairly dry spring we didn't see as much root diseases as we have in other years. So far this year, at least with corn and soybeans, we've been seeing a lot of rhizoctonia, rhizoctonia root rot, and also fusarium root rot. They can both look very similar on the hosts. And one of the only ways to truly differentiate them is through submitting a sample and plating the sample to see what fungus actually grows out of it. Have not been seeing a whole lot of are water molds and so Pythium and Phytophthora. You know, with some of the recent rains that we've had, I would expect Phytophthora to be a little bit more active here. And unfortunately, Phytophthora is one of those that we see it early in the season, we see it in the middle of the season, we see it at the end of the season. So a lot of our plant diseases, they will have certain, certain plant growth stages that they tend to affect. 
Phytophthora is one of those that can rear its head at any point throughout the growing season, as long as there is plenty of moisture in the field. And at least around Lincoln, we had some pretty good storms last night. And so there's a lot of saturated soils, though some of those water molds such as Phytophthora will be a little bit more active. Some of the other things that we've been seeing, you know, uh, wheat is kind of dying down now as a lot of a lot of the wheat is wheat harvest is underway. Earlier, we were seeing a fair amount of wheat streak mosaic virus, and then a lot of a lot of just our general fungal leaf spots, such as tan spot or septoria leaf spot on wheat. Um, rust certainly came in as well, but luckily we did not see a ton of rust samples in in the diagnostic clinic. And from conversations with our wheat pathologist, Stephen Wagulo, I don't think that rust was as big of a deal this year as it has been, has been previously. But right now with wheat, with harvest, we are getting some of those bleached heads. And so fusarium head blight is certainly an issue, especially in those fields that had, um, had moisture during flowering. Yeah, for the insect side, agronomically, it's been pretty slow so far. I haven't been seeing a whole lot come in from field crops. A lot of ornamental horticultural stuff. It's been a good year, it seems like, for aphids, those sort of things. We've been been seeing quite a bit of that. You know, hasn't been a whole lot in the crops, but I, you know, I definitely think there's some things that that are going to be important to watch out for coming up. Great. And that actually leads me right into my next question. So what should we be on the lookout for in our fields as the season progresses here in Nebraska? You know, the thing that I always recommend is scout early and scout often. The earlier that we identify whatever this problem may be, whether it's an insect, whether it's a disease, whether it's something nutritional, the earlier we are able to identify that problem, the more tools we have to, to help manage it. Unfortunately, with a lot of our diseases, insects as well, they're very noticeable in the field, our management options really decrease and management may not be as effective. So really just recommend going out, being out in the field, try to avoid doing the scouting at 70 miles an hour along the interstate as, if possible. Um, I know with the amount of acres people manage, can't always um, walk every acre, but actually getting out there and trying to find these leaf spots when they are small. If we can stop them before they progress to becoming a major problem, then that's better for everyone. Yeah, insect-wise, you know, there's a few things that jump out to me right now. Um, I guess I'll start with Dectes stem borer, or sometimes the soybean stem borer, because that, that's something that we are starting to see the adults active now. Like Kyle Broderick was just uh, really emphasizing was the scouting. This is really a good time to start, start scouting for that. Those adults are coming out. They're active in fields now. They're going to be laying those eggs and then the, the larvae, they tunnel into the plant and they'll, you know, start in the petiole, eventually move to the main stem where they tunnel and then they're making it more susceptible to breakage and, and potentially to, uh, economic damage due to lodging during harvest or before harvest. So that's definitely something, you know, I'd be starting to monitor for now, looking for that flagging when those larvae, when they move from the petiole to the main stem, that petiole is going to die and um, kind of create this dead petiole, kind of a, may even kind of droop down, but sort of looking for that flagging, that dead petiole and otherwise healthy canopy is a really good indication, something to look for. When you break that off, you can see the, the circular tunnel 
where, where that larva has borne through. So looking for those. Really, if you're seeing issues with those in your fields, you know, the best option is just going to be trying to early harvest that field as, as soon as you can. The other two big things that really be on the lookout for in a year like this uh, is going to be grasshoppers and spider mites. We've had, you know, some pretty hot and dry conditions for a while now, and both of those things are very favorable for both grasshoppers and, and spider mites. For grasshoppers, you know, we, we tend to see, you know, greatest damage, greatest issues with them in years where it's sort of paired with high populations and these dry conditions. But the dry conditions can help lead to those greater populations as well because it, it sort of reduces some of the naturally occurring fungal pathogens that, that might otherwise help control those grasshopper populations. Um, but then another really big issue is that because it's dry is, is sort of some of that natural vegetation that those grasshoppers are normally feeding on as that starts to dry down, they're going to want to seek out green, you know, good food sources. And that's when they move into our soybeans or corn or, and, uh, and can be a real problem. So that's something I would really be watching for. You can, uh, you can scout for grasshoppers. Often it's good to start scouting outside the field, field those adjacent areas next to your field. And, you know, if you're seeing issues, actually a lot of times you can, can treat that and really help control those grasshoppers before they're becoming an issue in your field. So basically you can kind of visualize a square yard, you know, walk through that field, walk through the adjacent areas, visualizing a square yard and see the number of grasshoppers that are jumping out of it. Count the number jumping out and then just kind of repeat that multiple times. The more times, the better. It's going to help give you a more accurate uh, assessment of what the sort of population really is. If you can do it maybe 15, 20 times, that's great. Um, and try not to walk in a straight line doing that as well because you know, as you're walking, they're going to jump ahead of you, right? You don't want those to sort of build up. So kind of walk at different angles through the field as you're, you're doing this. But once you're done, take those numbers and average them. And, and that will sort of give you an idea of how many grasshoppers you have per square yard. So if you're seeing 10 plus within fields, 10 plus grasshoppers per square yard or 20, 20 or more um, in those field borders, then good idea to maybe start considering those treatment options. And then, you know, finally with spider mites, very similar to, to, to grasshoppers, really like dry, hot conditions. In addition, as plants become drought stressed, that's favorable for, for spider mites as well. And so we can really see their populations explode, basically conditions similar to what we've been seeing for the past month or so. June, July, August, if this continues, that's definitely something that I could see cropping up into a, a pretty important problem. You know, for spider mites, the other really big issue with them is if you're finding those present in your field, one thing that very commonly contributes to their outbreak is the use of, of insecticides to control other pests. So a lot of the pyrethroid organophosphate insecticides, you know, that we're, we're using to control their pests or see it commonly with like corn rootworm or something like that. Basically, those are not a great effect oftentimes on the spider mites. They don't kill the eggs, but they're really detrimental on a lot of those natural enemies for the spider mites. Their numbers can just explode really, really quickly. So scout for spider mites, um, look to see if you have those in your field. And, and if you are seeing those, you know, really take great care to evaluate your insecticide applications, have a good idea of, of the benefits, the risks of that with those spider mites and, uh, and consider those options. And when you are kind of out looking 
scouting the fields and, and walking all of those acres, I would always recommend that people look towards the bottom of the plant as well. And so a lot of our pathogens tend to be soil-borne. They reside, they overwinter in infected residue. And so those lower leaves, that lower canopy is the first ones that often become infected. So when you're out, especially if you're in beans before the fully canopied, close the rows. Now's a great time to be out there to see, are we seeing some of this early season disease pressure? I know we started to see a little bit of frog eye leaf spot show up in soybeans, but very little thus far, luckily. Now there are other diseases that tend to show up towards the top of the plants as well. But again, just looking at that entire plant is, is very important when you're out there. Yeah, and to reiterate that as well, um, same thing kind of for spider mites. We're, we're going to see those starting lower in the canopy, whether it's with corn or soybeans, it's generally true. They're going to start lower in the canopy and then, and then move up. So, you know, really important to, to, to see, assess that, that throughout the canopy. Great. Yes, very good advice on both fronts. And I had... I don't really think about grasshoppers, but that makes sense. Really good advice. So now that we kind of know what to look for, if we do find something in the field, how do we submit a good plant sample to the clinic? Well, there are a, a couple of different ways that, that we will take samples. And so one of the, one of the easiest things now is to, to always start with the picture. We can identify everything via picture, but it can sometimes give us a give us a decent idea about what is out there. You know, the phrase that I always use is the pathogens, the insects, they don't read the textbooks. They don't know ex um, what symptoms they are supposed to cause, but normally there are common symptoms and we can, we can usually um, at least narrow things down based on a picture sample. Now, as far as submitting a, an actual plant sample to the diagnostic clinic, a few of the things that, that we ask for is, if possible, we ask the, that somebody submits the entire plant. So often a problem higher up in the canopy can be caused by a root issue. And if those plants are just cut off at the soil line or a couple inches above, we may completely miss what the overall problem is. So try to send in an entire plant sample if possible. Now, if we're just looking at some leaf spots, it's fine to just submit the leaves. But if we're seeing a general issue with the plant, whether it's a general chlorosis or stunting or a general wilting, that's when it's very important to get that entire plant. Then we ask that you include the root ball with soil, the roots and soil included. That just helps maintain a high quality sample longer. Conversely, if you are not terribly close to Lincoln, you're having to mail the sample in, waiting for someone to make a trip to Lincoln to deliver it, it may spend a couple of days just in transit. Again, having that root ball included really helps maintain a quality sample during that transit time. If we're just looking at, at a foliar sample or leaf tissue, um, then we will always ask that you put the samples in a plastic bag Please avoid paper. Paper bags, things tend to dry out and get pretty crispy by the time we look at them. And that can really make our job a little bit more difficult. So we recommend that you use a plastic bag and then just put a dry paper towel inside of it or dry newspaper, something to soak up any excess moisture. If there's excess moisture, a lot of other fungi, bacteria, and, and other things can start growing in that sample as well. 
And if it takes four or five days for the sample to make it to the diagnostic clinic, there can be a lot of things that start growing in those plastic bags. And then we also have a sample submission form. It can be found online at the CropWatch website. If you go to go.unl.edu backslash plant clinic, that will take you to the front page of the plant and pest diagnostic clinic. And we have links for the, the sample submission form there. And that sample submission form just really asks a lot of questions, things that really become important to, to identify what is the main problem. We will always ask about planting date, chemical history, variety information, and then a lot of questions about distribution within the field. Where are we seeing these diseases? Are they in certain spots? Are they coming in from the field border? Or is it just kind of random throughout the field? And finally, we always ask that samples are sent to the clinic really Monday through Wednesday. Try to avoid mailing samples later in the week. We really don't want that sample to be stuck in a mail room or in the back of a mail truck over the weekend, because unfortunately this happens on a fairly regular basis. By the time a sample gets to us, it's no longer any good. And we have to contact the grower, ask for another sample. Sometimes that's not possible. So try to send the sample in um, Monday through Wednesday. And we also recommend if possible um, to use FedEx or UPS. Yes. All good advice. Having a really good sample really helps anybody trying to diagnose or identify. All right. So when we talk about insect samples, how do we make sure to provide a good sample for you or a good picture for you to be able to identify the insect that might be plaguing someone's field? Yeah, sure. You know, starting with the picture is often, it's a good place to start. A few tips is number one, avoid using the zoom. If you're using like your cell phone or something to get that image. That's a, a common mistake is people try to zoom in to, to get that basically a closer image. Actually, that just reduces a lot of times the, the quality. It's actually easier on our end. If you just try to get as close to that insect as possible, try to fill the frame with it without using the zoom. And then once we have that image, we can zoom in, get much better resolution than what the camera is going to give you trying to zoom in. So try to avoid using, using zoom, but get as close as you can to that insect. This can be an issue outside. If you can try to avoid direct sunlight, that's also really good. Well lit areas are great, but direct sunlight can kind of wash out the insect, it can lead to some overexposure, make some things uh, difficult to see. So, you know, even if you just kind of can maybe use your body or something to kind of create a little bit of shade to get that image, that can be helpful. And if you are shooting in, in lower uh, light settings, you know, reducing shutter speed, that can be an issue leading to blurrier images. So, so you want to avoid that. Beyond that, I would say big things are taking multiple pictures and multiple angles. A lot of times we may need to see specific angles for identification. Sometimes it's, it's not a problem for, for agronomic stuff. Sometimes it's just really straightforward. But other times you know, it may be a situation where we need to see different angles. You know, so I always recommend taking multiple pictures and then sending you the top two or three from different angles. So one showing the top, uh, one showing the side, and then even if possible, sometimes one showing the bottom, that can be really helpful. And then the final thing is including something for scale, if you can. If it's on a leaf, sometimes it can just be one picture that's a little bit zoomed out so that I can see it in relation to the leaf. 
Other times, if you're able to actually collect a specimen or something using a ruler or a coin or pencil, whatever you might have handy, but giving it some scale, that's really, really important. You know, those are, are the biggest tips, most common sort of issues or mistakes with submitting an image. Beyond that, you know, I think in terms of submitting the actual sample physical specimen to the clinic, there's not usually too many issues once you have the specimen. A lot of times they're coming in with plant samples already, so no special concerns that um, you would need to do in that case. If you are submitting just an insect without plant sample, one thing I would suggest, like if you're shipping it, is just sort of packing it in a container with dry paper towel. That just kind of helps it from beating around too much in there so that it's in good shape once it gets to me. But otherwise, there's not really too many issues with physical specimens for, you know, the insect side. Yeah, because I know we've, we've definitely opened envelopes before and there's been squished bugs inside of them. And yeah, I don't recommend putting it directly in an envelope. Put the specimen in hard plastic containers. If you have old prescription pill bottles or something, clean it out and, and use that. That's what I, I do. And then I just kind of pack it in there with some paper towels. Yeah, if it, if it comes in something soft, it's probably not going to survive the mail very well. Right. Yeah, all things that sometimes we don't think about. Great. Do you have any resources for the clinic? And where can the listeners find those? The best resource for, as far as the plant disease side of things, is really the CropWatch website. We have a lot of great information on there regarding sample submission. Also, information about the common diseases and pests that are found in Nebraska. So I, I really cannot recommend people peruse the CropWatch website enough. Another resource that we use is the Crop Protection Network. And the Crop Protection Network is a, it's a consortium of ex extension professionals from across the country and even some up in Canada, but working together on, on articles um, to make sure that we have the most up-to-date information, the best pictures to identify which disease or insect we're looking at, the two great resources that I tend to recommend. Yeah, I would agree. Really all the things I've talked about today, there's already information published in CropWatch on those. Know, NEB guide for sure for uh, for DECTES. So uh, those are really great, great resources. Great. And also if anybody needs to submit a sample or an insect, your local extension office can also help you with that. So with that, I want to thank you both for joining me today. And I hope everyone has a great growing season. Thanks for having thank us. Thank you, Melissa. You're welcome.